Hello everyone, my name is Laura Delgado and this is Notes from COVID. Today is May 28th, 2020. In today's episode, we will discuss how COVID has affected the entertainment industry, more specifically nightlife. For this, I have the great pleasure to introduce you to Diego Hidalgo Sa. Diego is originally from Ecuador, but currently lives in Toronto, where we met around eight years ago. In fact, it was then when Diego founded SWA, an event production company dedicated to craft unique social experiences along the Latin culture. But let's hear it directly from him. Welcome, Diego. Hey, Laura. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. How are you today? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. It's finally getting warmer here in Toronto. So even though we well, can't go out as much, uh, well, I That's really I good for Toronto it. anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. So, Diego, I remember the first time I went to a SWA party. This was in Queen West around 2012. It was some re- a Mexican restaurant. I don't remember the name. Do you remember the name of the Mexican restaurant where you started yeah. at all? What was Milagro. Milagro. Oh, my God. That's, you know, um, going back in time, basically. Uh, but, yeah, think, I was thinking about that, you know, when I was preparing for this. And I think we were maybe like, what, 50 people. I, I, I don't know if, if the first one was a Halloween party, but for sure my first one was a Halloween party at Milagro. So can you tell us a bit more? about those early SWA days and how you started it all? The story really starts back in university. Um, okay. I, I went to school in, in New Brunswick, uh, okay. the University of New Brunswick in Fredericton. And we, like, believe it or not, it's a small town and everything, but we there was quite a few Latinos around. And I was always very nostalgic about my culture. So ever since I was in university, I started doing Latin parties okay. with a Latin association that I co-founded with with a good friend of mine who actually lives in Toronto now. So those were the, the early days of me organizing events. And I always found that I enjoyed doing that a lot. So uh, fast forward a few years, I moved to Toronto. I started working as an engineer, which is what I went to school for. And I was just really disappointed with the nightlife. Uh, not because Toronto doesn't have good nightlife. Uh, I think it does. It, okay it's not like europe or, or some other places i guess but the latin scene was in diapers like there was well, nothing really uh like especially to I mean, be you honest could... you don't need to explain that to me because i mean uh, for for those listening out there i'm from venezuela originally so i completely relate to what you're yeah. saying yeah <laughs> yeah especially you venezuelans you guys love to party so I, I know that I, I know that like comparing um, good Latin parties to to the kind of offering that we had here in Toronto was was not something that I actually enjoyed as much. I didn't really like going to clubs, but I missed partying. Um, yeah. So we started like as you know, a few years later, I, I started like uh, putting together a group of friends. I started meeting people, especially Latinos in Toronto. And so our group began to uh, to grow to to a point where we could actually do our own parties, you know, like our own house parties. And, and you know, we would round up a good like 40, 50 people sometimes and get all sorts of noise complaints and, and stuff like that. So w- one day we decided to do a party uh, with a few friends on, on, a, on a party room and then rented speakers and, you know, the, the whole thing, like the works. I no, downloaded so you music. All out. Yeah, you went we went all out. out. We we download like I spent like a whole weekend downloading music and preparing for it. And anyways, it was a blast. We ended up um, after after they kicked us out of the party room. We ended up going to my friend's place upstairs, and uh, I think I was the last Did one you- to leave at like nine a.m. And 
that day do you like take the whole setup to like from that party room to your friend's house or how, what, how not, not the whole setup uh, <laughs> but uh yeah because it would have been i guess too loud but uh yeah. but we like i we we took some music up like i remember he had like uh back in the day i remember I those bose music systems or whatever that you okay. connect your phone okay. to and uh we kept the party going i i, I actually don't remember those details because obviously i wasn't <laughs> I, uh, you I don't need to go into those details i think we all know why don't you don't remember anything. exactly so so i what i do remember though is that that day is the day that i decided that i was going to do swat i basically okay. i was talking uh with a good friend of mine and i basically i i became determined that night i said i'm going to do something like this but i'm going to do it as a business because this party was such a success a lot of people came out I was like, people need this. The city yeah, doesn't yeah, have it. Of course. Um, of course. A couple of months after that, we had our first event. And I remember just, um, you know, drawing the logo with my own hands. Like I just like, a, just like a, like a terrible sketch um, <laughs> before our mutual friend Eloisa actually designed the, the current logo that we have. Um, oh my God. Hold on a second. I did not know Eloisa had anything to do with Swa. That's really cute. Yeah, she That's designed... like a fun fact. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she designed our logo. Um, beautiful logo, by the way, that I that, well, that we haven't changed. Well, she's a beautiful artist. Mm. I mean, I have to say, interrupting, like, uh, sponsor, not, not even sponsored, <laughs> but if you do guys need design, graphic design, you need to hit our friend Eloisa. She is, like, the most brilliant mind when it comes to that. But anyway... Carry on, Diego. You were drawing before you met Eloisa. Yeah, I, I, I even professional thing for you. It, it's funny. I still have that T-shirt somewhere. I'll, 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 uh, I'll snap a picture of it and send it to you one day. Um, it's, uh, it's a T-shirt that I actually I, I drew it by hand and then I print, got, got it printed on a T-shirt and I started going out to like oh. all of my friends' parties and things like that to promote the event that I was organizing. Um, that was going to be at the second floor of this restaurant, Milagro. And okay. that first night, we were expect I was expecting about 60 people. That's what I told the manager. I was like, listen, I think, I mean, I'm going to be very optimistic here. And I think we can round up about 60 people. It's going to be fun. You're going to love it. He was very excited. And we started the party. And at first, you know, people started coming in. You know, it, it felt that it was going to go well. And then all of a sudden, 130 people show up. I don't know how we all fit, but long story short, I ended up uh, crowd surfing like after the last song and people were like, they wanted a, like a, like an after party. We ended up going to my place. Uh, anyways, it was, it was insane. I it was definitely one of the you, best you, nights you, of my life. Hands you down. knew you hit the nail in the head kind of with, with this idea that you had. Yeah. And yeah, then just, yeah, just, was... cause something, cause I, I don't really know how you ended up with Milagro. So, but how did you end up, you know, setting it's everything actually, up in Milagro? Um, I was having, I was having brunch with my friend Nico and then this, the, the manager was walking by. I was talking about, mm -hmm. you know, looking for a place to host a party. And he overheard me and he, okay. uh, his name is Alexis, he's from Mexico. And he turned around and he was like, uh, are you guys talking about like, sorry to, to eavesdrop. And, you know, I, I heard that you guys want <laughs> like to find a place to have a party. Anyways, we do parties here. And then I was like, this is perfect because it was just like literally so around the block from my place. Huh? Yeah, like it, it, yeah, when it's it, meant to be, you know, when it's meant to be exactly, you know, and, and then I, I came to see the place after, you know, he had all the setup. He actually had other parties happening there, like on a on different nights. Surely not so as successful was, as yours eventually, because I never heard of those. 
Yeah, no, there were there there were actually there were there were some gay parties that were happening there. There was a very successful gay party that that you know they they hosted for like a couple of years. Um, yeah, no, it was it was it was not bad. Uh, it was a good venue. We we used it for about a year until we grew out of it, and then you know, yeah, you know, that's really cool. History. Yeah, the rest is history. Actually, speaking of history. Uh, you know, I left Toronto in 2013, so obviously I could not could carry on with the history of SWAP, but I obviously followed in the social media, and I know that it grew all the way to the point that you started, you know, evolving your events and bringing, you know, musicians and uh, comedy shows and whatnot, so... Can you tell us more about that first artist? Like, what was the process like? How did you feel? I mean, that, that must have been such a great achievement, right? Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, it felt like, uh, so yeah, so maybe, well, I think it was three years after, two and a half years after the first party, um, we brought, um, by then I had like, um, gotten a business partner, uh, his name is Hector, um, and he's a musician, he's from Venezuela. Oh, so fun. yeah, so <laughs> with him, with him, we 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 sort of he, he him being a musician, he always wanted to go after like doing concerts and things like that. It was more his thing. Um, the parties were always more the things that I what I enjoyed more about the business. But but he had this uh, good ideas, and we ended up bringing one of his friends, who's a musician, who's also from Venezuela, who was living in California back then. He had released a CD. Um, and so we did the, the release party at our, uh, at our event and that was like our first experience with, with having a concert and it was really hard to pull it off. Uh, but we, we decided that we wanted to keep trying. And, um, and then I met this Spanish guy who had been working with concerts and things like that in Spain. And back in those days, Spain wasn't doing very well. So a lot of Spanish were coming to Toronto and he had good contacts in Spain. Um, okay. And so we had a meeting and, you know, we, 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 we sort of like, I, I had a meeting with him. We, I told him our intentions, what we wanted to do and stuff. And, and, and he ended up being able to get us in touch with Jarabe de Palo. Jarabe de Palo is a um, Grammy nominee um, artist from, from Spain, uh, very They're popular just an in the amazing 90s. amazing band, yeah. an amazing band. Whoever's listening, if you haven't heard of them, just Google them. They're yeah. really good. <laughs> yeah, very, very famous, especially in the 90s. They have a few songs that became like staples in, 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 in Spanish music. Um, so so they, they happened to be like just going to tour around um, North America in a few months from that date. And we just basically contacted them and it was, it was difficult. Like whole negotiation of the contract wasn't like, like anything that I've ever done before that. I had no idea mm -hmm. if they were charging me too much or too little or like, you know, I had no idea. I had no point of comparison. There's like, you can't Google this stuff, you know, like it, yeah. it's very complicated. Um, but what a great way to learn, uh, especially with, I mean, I don't know who's listening, but Jarabe uh, Palo in you know Spanish-speaking countries is a pretty big band. So to get them for your first you know music deal and concert and whatnot, that is such an accomplishment. Yeah, it was it was it was a big deal. Um, I remember I was in Ecuador when we were like negotiating the contract, and my we would like speak with my with my business partner who was here in Toronto and. It was like we, we would we were on the phone like every single hour of the day, like just like trying to 
change the contract, come up with new things, like um, just trying to close the deal because it's just a, a lot of pressure. And, and then you have to start like booking the venues, you have to pay money to book the venues. So you start to like risk your own capital. Um, something that I've never experienced before in my professional life or uh, in doing the parties before that. Um, yeah. And then luckily, um, everything worked out great. The concert was amazing. Uh, the band did amazing. They turned out to be great guys. Uh, we had a lot of fun that night. And and yeah, no, that was just like an amazing experience to get started with yeah. doing concerts and, and, and big shows. Well, uh, kudos to you because I think that's huge. Uh, I've never seen Jarabe Palon. It's always been on my bucket list. So... <laughs> I, I feel like I totally missed out, but yeah. Um, Diego, did you ever expect SWAT to grow the way it did? You know, uh, did you ever see that when I, like that first party that you did and you crowd surf or that moment when you did that house party and you said, I'm going to do this. Did you ever see it evolve to the way it's done? I mean, it's been a years already or so. Yeah, no, you, I gotta be honest with you. I don't, I don't ever remember really picturing myself even doing this as a full-time thing. Like this is how, like at the moment, I honestly, I honestly just wanted to bring a good party to the city. That's all I wanted to do. Like at first, <laughs> it was only a matter of like partying with my friends. I wanted to make money out of it, but I was never even planning on making a lot of money. Uh, that idea, you know, I got that idea after the first event, after realizing that there was a lot, like the, the market that was you were a lot expecting bigger. 60 that you were expecting yeah. 60 and 130 showed up exactly yeah. and, and all i did was like invite people through facebook that's all the marketing i did i invited my friends through facebook and i said bring your friends and that's it well, and i there was back then there was no facebook ads and nothing like that you know no. like i had no <laughs> there wasn't yeah i i didn't put any like posters or anything like that i was just telling people about the party and i guess just a well, word of mouth you know yeah, well, word of mouth is the best advertising out there. It and is. also, I think that those things that grow organically are the ones that, you know, withstand the, the test of time, you know. And also, at the same time, uh, the fact that you were just passionate, like you, you, you just wanted to have fun. And I think maybe that, you know, transmitted with the, what you were doing and people could relate. So, yeah, yeah, I think that, I may, that may have been it. Yeah, yeah, but cool. So. Now, move like I mean that was way back and how it all started. And now I understand that 2020 was meant to be a good year for Swa. You, from what I rumor has it, you you wanted to take it to Montreal. So another big milestone for you. Um, can you share the plans that you had for Swa for this particular year? Yeah, I mean actually the whole Montreal thing. Um, there was many plans actually. There was we had we had a lot of ideas for 2020, and and I, I mean one thing that you probably don't know because you haven't been here in a while is that we we started other events. We have more parties now. It's not only Swa. Mm -hmm. We have a party, for example, every Friday that's called House. It, it has nothing to do with house music. It's just Swa mm -hmm. spelled backwards. <laughs> and, oh, <wow>. <laughs> and it's, how original! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a party for, and it's the same kind of party, but for the younger generation, like 20 year olds and stuff. Um, and it, it was actually doing amazing. Um, and, and so we were busy with projects actually in Toronto. We had, like I had ideas of taking it to Montreal, but uh, we were just busy here. Um, and actually I was delaying those plans uh, just because of how much stuff we had to do 
um, just in Toronto. So, so, so for sure, there was just so many opportunities um, coming our way, and and then this happened, you know. And yeah, it's crazy. You touch on the topic that we all wanted to talk. So, I wanted to get into the COVID nineteen topic um, and gather. If you had any idea this was coming when the news started, you know, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I have been kind of obsessed with this thing since January when the first news started to arise from China and it was like 18 people infected and the next day it was maybe 34 and then next day it was, you know, 60. I was pretty obsessed, but I don't know if you saw like, where was your head at back in January? when the first news started to come out of China? Definitely not on this pandemic. Like, <laughs> no, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you the truth. The week that that was March, I think it was March 12th or something like that, when, when the WHO declared this a global pandemic. Until that day, I we were still like planning for 2021. We were already booking dates for 2021. Um, oh, wow. okay. That is how completely disconnected oblivious, oblivious, oblivious to this to yeah. this whole story like it's the kind of thing that you oh that's happening over there like you you, yeah. you don't you, even you think don't really about see it. it affecting you yeah yeah, yeah. i mean uh, uh, to be fair it's hit pretty hard like canada pretty hard i i am just seeing here the stats of worldometers uh, it's apparently a site that has live information for you guys if you want to check canada is the 13th country with the highest rate so there's 88 1,473 cases right now and up to 6,000, almost 7,000 deaths already. So it's been pretty, uh, hit pretty hard. Yeah. So you really had no idea it was coming. Right? Yeah, it wasn't like, honestly, I wa it wasn't even on my radar. I don't consider myself to be someone who's not connected with with what's happening in the world i tend to be someone who's informed i guess um but okay. i don't know it's just like i i've never had any kind of experience with like seeing like like a global phenomenon of this kind obviously nobody yeah. has or or very I little was say, yeah, I, mean, I think i think we're all on your boat <laughs> yeah peop well people who some people describe like uh the epidemic depends where you live right because like if, if if you were living in Africa um, and when the Ebola thing hit, then you would probably would have been yeah. very worried or um, or SARS if you lived in China or something like that. But but it just so happens that in the places that I've lived in my life, we've never had to deal with any kind of outbreak because apparently yeah, there was it's a, always been news from abroad. Yeah, it, it's always been news from abroad. Exactly. And. Um, when I was living in Ecuador, I never had to deal with this, with any kind of any kind of outbreak of any of any sort. Even the ones mm -hmm. of diseases that are, you know, uh, tropical diseases tropical, like dengue, exactly yeah. malaria, and all that kind of stuff is mostly on the coast. I never remember that affecting my life uh, at all, or yeah. people around me. So I guess I was just like not mentally prepared to deal with with something disrupting my life and everybody else, that, else's life uh, do you think that like maybe that? i mean because obviously i mean by march 12 or so where you're saying that the who declared this a, a pandemic uh i mean this had been in the news for a while and again i know you i know you're not like somebody that's completely uh, oblivious to life and the world and whatnot uh but do you think that maybe subconsciously you may have been blocking and you you you're, you're just focused on like this is not going to affect me this is not this is in china this is in europe this is in 
you know, anywhere else but. I had my like I had my mind somewhere else. I wasn't even thinking about it. You know, I I, I actually. <laughs> well, you were in 2021. I, exactly. I had a meeting. We, we actually had a meeting with one of the venue owners the day that that was that day, the day that the or, or the day after I think um, that the WHO declared is that gold pandemic, and we were going there because we were gonna do some renovations. We had agreed with this guy. Um, that he was going to do a re some renovations for our event because our event was drawing a lot of people and, you know, sort of like the people wanted to see some improvements in the place. Um, so we sort of okay. had some leverage and, and, and I decided to, like, we decided to meet with a guy. And I remember at the very end of our conversation, he was like, I hope that what's happening in Italy doesn't happen here. I'm really scared about my business. He said that to me that night. And I was like... And what did what did you reply to? I was that? like, nah, it's okay, man. It's 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 probably gonna, <laughs> you know, I'm I'm sure we're gonna be fine. The next day, I had to cancel the event. That's how that's wow. how fast it happened, because even before we had experienced cases in Toronto, I think, and even before the government got involved, people were actually already taking matters in their own hands. Like it was it was a very yeah. it's a very hard. Uh, thing to explain. It was sort of like uh, people just started reacting in mass. Yeah. Restaurant owners and venue owners started to just close down, sort of like in solidarity. So this to was avoid... in Toronto? In Toronto. This was in Toronto before the government had any say, Be yeah. like officially? Absolutely. Wow. So yeah, like, we cancelled our the first event we cancelled, I think it was March 14th or 13th, I don't remember. It was like I said, it was around those days. We canceled that event without the government having said anything yet. Like there was no lockdown or, 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 or shutdown or anything. It was no direction from the government. Uh, I, I think, in fact, the only thing that, that they came out saying is that, no, not even that. With the, the week after, they came out and said that people shouldn't have events of 250 people and over. But that was the week after we had already canceled our, our, our event the week before. So like I said, I mean, it was just like a, like I think people did, like people got scared. Uh, we started hearing the news uh, that, that it was bad in many places, in different cities and even in North America. And then people just started to take sort of like matters in their own hands and they, I think everybody yeah. just thought that it was going to be something for a few weeks and then, you know, let's just be safe kind of thing. You know, let's let's be safe. Let's not yeah, take any risks. You, you guys decided to you guys decided to be proactive about it rather than reactive. And yeah, and especially nowadays happened. with the Internet, how it is with like if, if, if you do something that is irresponsible and then you 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 know, something happens, you know, somebody gets the disease in, in your event, for example, and then, you know, the mm -hmm. backlash can be really you know, so I think a lot of people are very afraid. Yeah. A lot of venue owners were like, you know what? I want to get canceled or I don't want to, I don't want to deal with any kind of backlash. I'm just going to, I'm just going to be safe here and just cancel the event. And I'm sure it's going to be yeah. fine in a couple of Of course. Weeks. And I, I mean, you, you, you build your brand and reputation for years and you don't want this to be the one thing that's going to tumble it down. That's right. You know? Exactly. So, and I, uh, that's com completely And I'm right. sure out of all the people that I spoke to, when, when we canceled those first events, the first week, pretty much nobody was thinking that this was going to be like a long-term thing. At that point in time, okay. I think everybody was just being safe. Everybody was just stay at home, you know, like everybody just wanted to be proactive in staying safe. I'm just going right. to say, if everybody yeah, would have gonna, known I that, that, that it was going to be perhaps 
for my industry at least, perhaps for, for the entire year or even more, I think people would have been in a completely different position. Um, but yeah, like I said, I mean, at the time, everybody was just chilled. Everybody was just canceling, but we're going to get out, out of this together. So I guess it, yep. it would be safe to say that for you, it's taken some time to sink in. Because from what you're saying, in March 13th or 14th, when you canceled your first event, you thought this was going to be short-term decision kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, and maybe you, you didn't really realize the, the magnitude of what's what was going on until until we started to see uh this as you know it, it, but you know it happened really quickly after that i mean at first the first few days like i said were like this you know we didn't we reacted mm -hmm. um based on our own sort of intuition kind of thing but three four days later the whole world was just completely <laughs> overwhelmed by the news and by the whole situation. I guess hard to ignore. Yeah, I mean, by then, <laughs> you know, the government had already started talking about like economic stimulus, about like perhaps having to lock down for a good like few months. And like, you know, people started becoming very aware of the magnitude of the situation. And it was everywhere. Everybody was talking about it. You started to see the expert, yeah, it... experts come out um, more and more like, for example, if I haven't, if I hadn't been paying attention to this whole situation from the start, um, was also because all the people that I follow weren't really talking about it. And I think I follow people who are also very informed. Um, and then that week, just everybody started talking about it. Uh, you know, you had people like Bill Gates and you had people like, I don't know, like all, all these big personalities started to give us an idea of how complicated the situation was actually going to be. I think it also took a while for it to reach North America or like the American continent in general. Cause yeah, it, 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 the first case in, in London where I'm based, it was January 31st. So uh, I, I mean, it took a yeah. while. I wanted to ask you, Diego, by the way, cause you, you wrote a note reflecting on the future of nightlife and the measures that the governments can take to support the industry you know, in this whole recovery phase that hopefully we will get to at some point, hopefully soon. Can you share some of those ideas that you had in mind? Yeah, I, I mean, the first thing, the premise of the article was that, you know, let's, you know, let's be completely honest. We're not going to be able to to reopen while this is happening. This is my point of view. Um, basically, mm -hmm. uh, our, our value proposition is cramming people into a close space and <laughs> having them be very close to one another in 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 a situation in which they wouldn't be comfortable in like any other way you know i think the only the only yeah. the only cases where you see people crammed up in a like in a club is in a club and in you know in public transportation and i can't say that yeah. people are comfortable <laughs> When they're crammed in public transportation, for the most part, people tend to be yeah. very uncomfortable. I guess one is like a will exactly. situation, and the other one is like I have to do this. Exactly, situation. exactly. Yeah. That's the only two things where I can think of. Um, and but it, but when you're partying, people actually want that to the point where what I was saying in the article is that our events, even though we could be profitable at say, for example, seventy-five percent of the capacity of the bar, the party. Mm -hmm. would be perceived maybe as a as a failure because people wouldn't feel like it's full 
Like this party is not. Yeah, it's there's like a sweet spot when it's like not too full, not too Ex empty that you want to exactly. hit when you're planning that's those right. parties. Exactly, and that mm -hmm. and that sweet spot, that's where the whole business is based, is in in that experience, in providing that experience. And I think that the the reason we were very um, successful with our events was that we were like we had that we hit that sweet spot, perhaps you know, more than 90% of the time over an eight year period. And, and, and that made it such that people, whenever they went out, uh, came out to our events, they knew what they would have, you know, they, they sort of had their expectations yeah. set on what they were going to experience that you, night. And, and it was big. You build a reputation. Yeah. You built a reputation. And, and it was, and it was based party. on that, on, on the fact that we were able to create that experience under those circumstances. If you remove that, what you have, is not the same. So all of a sudden, our value proposition is is gone. Like what we provide people is gone. Not to not to mention the fact that if you like, you can't control what people do once they're inside of the club. Like one thing is a restaurant where you can set people apart, and you have a server that comes to yeah. the table, and you know people only have to get up to go to the washroom pretty much. Other than that, yeah. people can be practicing social distancing and still enjoy the experience of eating in a restaurant, um, you know, af after we can open and back up and sort of uh, readjust restaurants to sort of function for the new circumstances. Yeah. But you can't do that in a club. How do you do that? Like, you can't control the movement of everybody. Um, even You can't, like, get everybody wearing a mask while you're partying. It's, it's, probably, it's probably complicated. <laughs> People are going to be sweating. They want to take it off. Like when they talk to each other, like forget it. It's 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 a recipe for disaster. I would never want to take yeah. um, that kind of risk. I think I think nobody in this industry would want to take that kind of risk. Mm -hmm. It's important that people understand that part, right? Because the suggestions that I have are more for when we finally reopen. The thing is that we're going to see a lot of people go under. That's just. That's just what's going to happen. We have already seen a, a few venues that we work with close down permanently. Um, so it's already happening and it's going to happen in the next few months. I have, there's no doubt about that. People are just not gonna be able to afford uh, to keep running their business if they can't open for so long. So once we open back up, there's going to be opportunities for people to invest back in this industry. I don't think this industry is going anywhere eventually. We're gonna go back to partying the way we were partying before this whole pandemic hit. I'm sure that I there's no doubt in my mind that that's going to happen. I think I think even more because after being locked down for so long, I think people will want to yeah. get you know as cozy up as possible absolutely, with everyone. Absolutely. I mean, I I feel like I, I want to hug my coworkers and everything, and I wouldn't do that normally. I mean, I'm a loving <laughs> person, but you know, there's also boundaries. And it's just the thing is that, like like I said, I mean, you can. I, I can foresee all sorts of changes in behavior, right? Like people may not want to shake hands as often. Uh, you you might see people wearing masks like they do in, in Asia willingly, uh, even though there's no mm -hmm. pandemic, just more regularly. You may see all these kinds of things, but, but partying, I know that for a lot of people, it's just such a unique experience that you need. Like a lot of people just need this experience. It's, it's, you can't replace it with anything else in my mind. My point of view, yeah. you can't replace it with anything else. So it's going to come back. So really the suggestions are based on eventually we're gonna come back and the government 
should help us just like they're helping other industries right now. They should help our industry mm-hmm. bounce back because we're sort of the soul of the cities. We're what brings people together. We are the ones who are responsible. Like when somebody's going out and traveling, what do they want to do? They want to eat out. They want to go to bars and clubs and experience the city. If you remove that, there's yeah. no point in and going also, and traveling, uh, you know. Like nightlife, the industry of the night is also, you know, revenue producing. That's exactly. Well. That's the so. other thing, right? Um, and not to mention, you know, like, I mean, we're not in Europe here where people actually travel to go to museums and things like that. In Toronto, you know, when, when people travel, you know, either it's for business or if it's tourism, it's mostly to experience what the city has to offer. And, and, and it's not a lot about history and culture because we don't have a lot of that because we're sort of like a young city. Mm -hmm. So I think that the government should help us. That's one of the suggestions that I had that they should help people. This is an industry that financing doesn't tend to be available for people in this industry very much. Like people don't get loans and things like that from banks to open restaurants or clubs or things like this. I think that it is important that the government helps um, in, in, in kickstarting this industry back up again. That's one thing. The other thing, is that they should okay. ease up liquor laws. I don't know how it is in, in, in the UK, but in Canada, we, we're, we're very Puritan. Uh, you know, we, 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 we have to shut down at 2 a.m. We can't sell any more liquor. Uh, for the most part, people can't drink outside. It, it, I, t- I tend to, to see the laws here, the, the, the liquor laws as very, very uptight and conservative. Um, but the good thing about that yeah. is that you have a lot of room to play. Um, and and relax those laws a little bit so that people can so that people in this industry can make a little more money and also offer something better to customers, right? Like if if you don't have to kick them out at two, we already have that in in Toronto, by the way. Uh, there is a way to apply for a four a.m. license every now and then. Yeah. And oh wow. Yeah, but, yeah, progress. great progress, <laughs> and it has um, it's been implemented with with amazing results. People love it. Uh, obviously, uh, venue owners love it, but it's not so easy to get, right? So it's just dependent on on, on, okay. on different variables and like events that are happening in the city and on your city councilor actually liking your business and the people around you not complaining. It, it, it just depends a lot of, of, of things are, are sort of like, yeah. um, it's resting on a lot of things happening for you uh, so that you can apply to this special license. However, uh, this could become permanent. And, and people would understand because it would be sort of to give this industry a boost so that we can return and, and, and be profitable again. The other thing that I was suggesting was that uh, just like in Ecuador, um, we have we can deduct uh, taxes from our expenses. Uh, so we have value added tax in Ecuador um, and we can deduct that okay. expense when we're doing our income taxes at the end of at the end of the year so it doesn't matter where you spend your money you can save your receipts and then you can deduct that like to a certain percentage that's pretty much in latin america if i'm not mistaken i remember that was the same could be yeah yeah uh and i think it's the same yeah yeah Yeah. it is it is very popular because it helps the government in in keeping transparency in taxation especially because a lot of businesses that didn't used to mm-hmm. issue receipts and, and invoices are now are now encouraged by the mm-hmm. customers so that when c- customers want to to get a receipt they want to get a, an invoice uh, so so businesses can't avoid yeah. paying taxes right like so it works both ways you know the government returns some taxes to Perfect. the consumer but the consumer 
in the consumer requesting for a receipt, it also provides the government with more accountability or, or it, it, it ensures that businesses are more accountable. So it's very popular. But you could do that here in Toronto. Say, for example, you, you give people an allowance. So if you spend a certain amount of money in your local economy, then you get some, some, some money from taxes back at the end of the year. So that would make people a little more, um, it will encourage people to go out and spend money, especially okay. if, if we're going to, if we're going to have economic crisis after this, we're going to need these kinds of incentives yeah, you... so that people say, well, instead of, instead of buying things on Amazon, you know, I can spend money here in my local economy and I will get some taxes back. So it will make us more competitive. So that was another yeah. thing that I, that I think I, the other thing that I suggested is that I think that we should, we should unite as an industry a little bit more because we're not very powerful uh, as it is right now. Like we're, uh, we're spread out. And when, when you don't organize, it is very difficult to, to get things through, like to get the government to support you. And, and so, yeah. so it is important for us to be a little more united as a, as an industry organized with artists, event producers, venue owners, restaurant uh, owners, chefs, etc. There's, there's so many people working in, in nightlife and in hospitality that are um, not unionized and not organized that I think that we could do that. Yeah. You also mentioned transport, that transport should be free in the evenings or like for, for people to be able to get yeah, to the Yeah, that events. would be, that would encourage people to come out. You know, if, if, if the subway was working a little bit later and then people can go out and, and take public transportation for free. I mean, these kinds of things just help. It's a little, it's a little boost. Thing yeah, it's help. basically the city being a little more friendly with nightlife which is which is important for us in a city like Toronto like i said i mean we tend to be sort of like an uptight and conservative place when it comes to entertainment not when it comes to all sorts of other things you know starting with you know multiculturalism for example we're very liberal with everything else it's not a religious place it's like you name it you know there's not there's not you don't see a lot of conservatism yeah. here in the city but when it comes to liquor like like liquor laws I, I think that we're, yeah, they're, yeah, they're pretty, pretty stiff. stiff. They like, mm -hmm. they don't, it's almost like they don't trust their population. I don't know what the history is behind that. I'm, I bet yeah. that there's some history. Um, but anyways, I th the, the good thing is that it, I think that people in Toronto tend to be well-behaved in general. Like people are not rowdy. We don't, we don't, it's not a violent city. I think that for the most part, you can trust your citizens. Yeah, com com compared to a lot of yeah. other places, absolutely. Yeah, those are really good points, Diego. Now, I, I have another question, because at least here in the UK, clubs and bars are apparently, according to, to the plan that the Prime Minister has in place, are basically some of the last, if, if not the last, uh, things or industries to open in, in, like in, in the reopening plans. Is that the case in Canada as well? Because I'm, I'm not uh, really following. Yeah, so. it's. It, I know that they haven't mentioned anything about like official, like when we can reopen. The, what they're doing is that they're basically saying, okay, in this phase, some of these businesses will be able to open. So they're sort of hinting the ones that are, that they already know mm -hmm. that they're going to allow. But for example, today it just came out okay. that um, sort of like in the first phase of reopening, they they listed a bunch of businesses, you know, uh, optometrists, dentists chiropractors, things like that. Um, and, and among those, people were expecting the government to op to allow like salons and like uh, nail bars and all that kind of stuff to open again. <laughs> aren't, 
aren't we all waiting? Yeah, especially women. I know, like I, I, I guess that a lot of my male friends uh, have gotten their haircuts from like their girlfriends, <laughs> or they have cut their own hair, and they don't really care. But I know that for a lot of women, it's important. And um, I actually count myself in there. I would, I, I want my salon to open up so that I can get a haircut because it's, it's, it's not even presentable <laughs> anymore. But, um, but for example, they thought that they were going to open with the rest of these other bit uh, other businesses and it wasn't the case so it so they're playing it sort of like mm -hmm. by ear i don't think they're going to say anything about us until they have a, an actual answer and we'll know that when okay. they allow restaurants to open up and when they allow restaurants to open up and with whatever restrictions they come up with we're going to see what happens and after that we're going to get a better idea uh as of when we are going to be able to open back up. But like I said, even if they allow us to open, the experience is not gonna be the same. So people need to understand that like whoever comes out to, a, to an event to, or, or, or to a bar or club, um, they, they need to understand that they can't, they can't worry about getting the disease. It's, it's, not only, it's not only a law thing, it's not a regulation thing, it's, it's a perception. That's why I'm saying that we need to we need to open back mm -hmm. up when people are ready to come out, not not when the government says so. Yeah. Right. Like, cause no, absolutely, I agree with that, and it actually ties into like the two last mm -hmm. questions that I had for you because, uh, for example, uh, there's two things. In nightclubs have been at the forefront of the spread of the virus, specifically, you know, the, the second outbreak in South Korea originated in a nightclub in, in the party scene. And then also, on the other hand, right now, China is reopening its night scene. So um, what measures, if any, do you think should be in place in order to minimize the risk or avoid it or to reassure the public like, hey, it's safe to come party or I don't, don't that, really that was the whole point of my article. Or, I don't see it happening. I, I, I appreciate, yeah. like I said, I mean, I appreciate the, the creative ideas. Pe people have a lot of creative ideas. And the thing is <laughs> yeah. I got, I got some, some sort of validation because the same day that I published my article, there was an interview done to, uh, I don't know how to pronounce his name. Charles Kabuth, I think is how you pronounce it. Anyways, he's like, He's the entertainment magnate oh, okay. here in, in Canada. He owns a company called Inc. Entertainment. He came out saying in the interview okay. that, you know, that clubs are dead, that it's gone. They're done. There's... He basically yeah, he, like, I think, <laughs> you know, he, what he was saying is like, what do you want me to do? Like, you want me to like put people in a bubble and not allow them to like talk to other groups? Like, he can't do that, you know, and I can't charge people. Um, yeah. for that kind of experience it's very complicated um you, there's nothing there's very little that we can yeah. do to ensure so th here's the thing i worked in engineering and construction for a long time mm -hmm. and one thing that rules that mm -hmm. industry is compliance accountability and safety companies don't want to take risks at mm -hmm. being sued for things that they can prevent right the 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 kind of laws that you, like the kind mm -hmm. of punishment that you can face for negligence and for and for not practicing safety at you know above and beyond sort of the laws can 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 completely ruin a company right and so that industry operates very slowly and very carefully because they operate they what they do is is risky now in the nightlife industry okay. 
first of all, we're not trained for that. People, people, even the mentality, like, like when, when you work in construction, you get safety training for, for years. And, and um, in this kind of industry, we're simply not prepared for that. And the big thing is I don't think we're prepared to assume that kind of responsibility and liability. Because what happens if people start to get sick again because of us, right? Like they might, they might expect us to do stuff that we cannot like ensure that happens, right? Because it, it depends a lot in the, in the customer. We can't, we can't be policing people. Um, what if people get to close? I mean, you know what, people, what happens in clubs? People meet each other. You know, you, you, you see someone you like and you co you go yeah. up to them and you talk to them, you buy them a drink or whatever. Like things like this happen. These are the kind of social dynamics that happen yeah, you, in clubs. You get up close exactly, and personal right? in so, clubs. So you can't police that and, and expect people to behave differently. I would much rather not open for, for even if it is for a couple of years. Yeah, you, can't, you cannot compromise what you build, the experience that you offer. Uh, just to and it's gonna be a nightmare. The new normal. It's gonna be a, a complete nightmare. Coming. It's not gonna yeah. work out. I don't. I don't think it's gonna work out. People might get disappointed. Uh, you know. I, I. I. And when you mix alcohol and everything, it's just not good. It might end up like working uh, against us. You know, because if things start to happen and and there's, they might start to police us, and then it becomes like a, it becomes a bigger problem because now uh, they think that you can't handle it. And then people start to lose trust in our types of businesses, so they don't come out even even when it becomes safe. So like it can yeah. that that's it the can right backfire. Yeah, it can backfire and be even something worse. It's it's better than than we just like whatever businesses can survive, they will survive. The ones that can't, well, they're gonna they're gonna have to start from scratch when we open again. And and I know that that is a very difficult situation for, for us is going to be like that. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen in the next year or two, uh, but I have wow. no plans at all. And, and I'm making no plans for SWA right now. The only thing that I'm thinking is about like reinventing myself and doing some other stuff that I'm interested in right now while I have the time. Wow. That is, that is very, that's very deep what you're saying, because I mean, Obviously, everybody worldwide has been affected by this pandemic um, to some degree or another. And just giving us an insight to how this has hit the entertainment industry, you know, put things into perspective. I mean, I, I'm very lucky that, you know, I have like a nine to five job, very secure and, you know, benefits and whatever. Uh, but for people in the entertainment industry, you know, they might just need to start from scratch somewhere else when maybe they, you know, they didn't want to, or, you know, it makes you think about <laughs> what, what, what to do next. You're, you're basically, think about it this way. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm thinking of this as, as if I've decided to go get an education, you know, imagine Imagine if I say to my business okay. partners, hey, guys, I'm, I'm going to take a couple years off to go do an MBA somewhere. Whatever. Just I'm just saying MBA. It could be anything. Okay. Uh, like, it's an opportunity <laughs> for, for me to learn. I would be disconnected from my business. Perhaps I would stop earning money or whatever. And I decide a lot of people, when they go back to school, you know, they stop working. They live off their savings. And they invest in an education, right? Mm -hmm. And after, you know, and sometimes an education and a master's degree yeah. or something can take two or three years, right? It's about the same for us, right? Like 
I'm not gonna make any money for about two years on okay. this. I, I, that's what I'm projecting, right? So what am I gonna do in this two years? I'm gonna try to educate myself and learn and try other things and invest in myself as much as possible. Don't see this as a, necessarily as a, as a tragedy. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's <laughs> yeah. just a couple of years. Well, but you're seeing it in, in a good way and luck, luckily um, you're taking the best out of what the situation that you're were given uh maybe not everyone has but it's a good it's a good thing to hear that you know there's a light at the end of a tunnel even i mean think about it really dark, think about it this you know? way so, um, you know in in the span of history this is just going to be a bleep um you know even for our own lives we're always going to remember it we're always going this will mm -hmm. affect how history um develops in the future However, in the grand scheme of things, it's just going to be a couple of years. I mean, we all obviously we have to trust that eventually we'll we'll get a vaccine or some sort of uh, therapeutical that will help us deal with with the disease so that it's not that bad, um, so that we can go back to normal. And eventually we will, and and then new businesses will come back up, and 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 people will reopen, and things will go back to normal in a few years. And after a while, we'll just not. Yeah. It, it would have been just a couple of years that we lost, but in a in a in a thirty or four year career, yeah. two years is not that much. So that's that's how I think people should look at it. That's um, true. As as difficult as it may be, and it will be a setback for a lot of people, including myself. Well, like Gandalf says, this too shall right. pass. It will. <laughs> so, yeah, perfect. No, well, Diego, thank you so much, not only for taking the time, but also to share your thoughts, your experience, your insights with us. Um, to wrap the episode up, I want to do a rapid fire round of three questions that I'm asking okay. everyone that I'm meeting. Um, just say the first oh, thing that comes to mind <laughs> when you hear it, okay? So question number one, COVID-19 in a Future. Word. Okay. What have you learned during this time? Resilience. Okay, that's a really good word. And what is the first thing you'll do after this situation is over? Travel. Yeah, travel for sure. Well, that's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> that is a good one. Well, you're very welcome. Thank you so much, Diego. Well, this is Notes from COVID. Um, this is Laura from London. And I'll see Goodbye. you in the next episode. Thank you very much. Bye.